the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Did you know a once-a-year occurrence happened this morning? And then, what would happen if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today? You're listening to The Common Good. Everybody, welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us on a Friday afternoon. Hopefully you got out of work early today, right? It's the summer. We shouldn't be working late these days. So hopefully you got out of work early, getting your weekend started. Uh, Aubrey, uh, Aubrey Sampson, my normal co-host, has done just that. So she's out yesterday and today. I'm with you solo today, but she'll be back with us on Monday. Uh, And we'll have a whole new show for you. If you've missed any of the shows this week, go get our podcast wherever it is. Get your podcast. Just subscribe, rate, review. Really excited for those of you who do that. That helps us out a bunch. All right. I said to you just a minute ago, there was a something happened while you were hopefully sleeping, maybe just waking up this morning. That is a once a year occurrence. It happens one time. It happened at 6.15 a.m. Central Time this morning. And it happens this rare moment is this. At 6.15 a.m. Central Time on July the 8th today, 99% of the world's population was in the sun. About 6.4 billion people in the daytime, while more than 1.2 billion people were in twilight at that moment. Amazing, right? Only 1% of the world was in nighttime, in darkness, at 6.15 a.m. this morning. 99% of the world's population. That is a once-a-year occurrence. Use that stat at a dinner party you're going to tonight or whatever else it might be, because that will blow people away. So, I thought that was a little interesting tidbit. All right, around the world, we don't often go starting with like world news, but there's some cataclysmic things going on around the world right now, and then we'll turn our attention to more local. First of all, obviously, the war in the Ukraine continues. It's so interesting because that is such a horrific um, war. It still continues. Yet it is so easy to forget that it's going on. I know that it's pri- you know, primarily because we live so far away. It's not part of our day-to-day reality. But I, I did want to remind us that this war is still going on. People are still being killed. Um, prisoners are still being taken. Uh, evil is still being um, put on top of these innocent people. And so we need to continue to pray. We need to continue Uh, to keep this front of mind. But then uh, tragedy hit the nation of Japan overnight as former prime minister, the longest-running prime minister, a well-known prime minister, Shinzo Abe, uh, he was shot and killed at a campaign event. He was assassinated at a campaign event. And uh, many things, as you watch the news about this, um, just this evil event, stood out. First of all, Shinzo Abe was 
uh, a uh, you know while controversial was also a beloved figure you saw pictures of him you could see how long he had been the prime minister as you saw pictures of him today with um with president obama president trump and president biden and uh, a a huge figure on the world stage overseeing the nation of Japan. He retired or he stepped down in 2020 due to health reasons. But you could tell his influence by the fact that he was still out campaigning and he was still wanted to be that way. And he was just shot. A guy um, kind of uh, improvised a shotgun to get close to him and just shot him in the back and in the neck. And despite the best efforts of medical personnel, Shinzo Abe was killed. And uh, people were pointing out that in Japan, they literally have like, you know, 10 people die a year by gun violence. And so for this to happen in that nation has been has just rocked them. And so you had that. And then you have what's going on in England as Boris Johnson, who has just been holding on despite great controversy, uh, finally resigned yesterday somewhat uh, reluctantly, not even somewhat, I would say reluctantly, and he, you know, put it on kind of the the herd mentality. He said, but Boris Johnson stepped down as the Prime Minister of the UK, and so that being one of, if not our, the closest ally we have, uh, that is major news as he's been holding on. And uh, each of those stories brings something different to mind for me. When you think about the assassination of the former prime minister of Japan, it's just evil, right? Like, it's just sad. It's just um, you, you see this and you go, man, like, uh, and I don't know that this is a gun violence thing or this or that, because Japan, like we said, doesn't seem to have gun violence. I think this is just the fallenness of man and the evil of our world coming down upon somebody feeling the freedom to take the life of the prime minister or the former prime minister. And, uh, you know, more details will come out, but, but we pray for his family, for the nation of Japan that, who is rocked by this and to, for him to be shot in such a public way, this was caught on camera and, uh, yeah, a, a really, really big deal reminding us of, you know, doesn't it feel like there's just increasing stories of darkness and evil in our... I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just more in tune to it right now. But it feels like with each day, there is another story that makes you go, what in the world is going on? Uh, and again, we're going to... Because I don't want us to forget about it. We're going to reflect later on some more uh, to that uh, horrific shooting on the 4th of July in Highland Park in our neck of the woods here. But this one being around the world uh, is tragic and, uh, yeah, it, it makes you stop and think, I think that it should maybe we've become so numb to this now, but it should make you stop and think. And then the Boris Johnson one, I, I watched, I wanted to try to understand what was going on. And so I watched a bunch of coverage online. Uh, there were some mashups of the, of the BBC to kind of help you get, um, a handle for what's going on over there. And it reminded me of something that we talk about all the time on the show here is that integrity and character of our leaders matter. Like, I didn't know what was going on. And obviously, much of this is political, much of this is. But a lot of this for Boris Johnson goes back to being belligerent. But it also goes back to uh, making rules that he didn't follow, particularly during covid, that there were blatant stories of him and his administration throwing big parties while the people while, while he had enacted things 
kind of locking down the the United Kingdom, and people got really mad about that. And he flaunted a lot of the rules, and he was pretty belligerent. And it reminds me again, whether it be a country, whether it be a church or a business, the integrity and the character of leadership matters greatly. Like, I, I think that I think about it being a church because that's that's my line of work. Uh, you can make mistakes. Now, not sin, blatant sinful mistakes, but you can make leadership mistakes, bad decisions. And if you've created goodwill through being a good person, a nice person, making a connection to the people that you lead, there's usually a lot of rope there. But over and over again, we see politicians like Boris Johnson or others who just weren't good to the people. And and then when there's one thing that goes against them, uh, they end up not being able to survive it. That's kind of was my takeaway from that. Character and integrity matters, whether you're a politician, a pastor, or, or just for all of us. Your character and integrity matters in and of itself, but also it buys you goodwill. And it doesn't appear that Boris Johnson, with, with many people outside of his inner circle, had bought himself very much goodwill. So yet another leadership lesson playing out on the stages. Well, um, we continue to mourn and reflect and lament and feel the weight of what went on right here in our own neighborhood, in our own backyard, in Highland Park over the 4th of July. Obviously, we all are fully aware by now that a gunman opened fire randomly uh, from from the top of a building during the 4th of July parade in Highland Park, and uh, seven people died, uh, and then there are multiple injuries and just a community shaken and and a, a region shaken. And there's a lot to discuss as we think about what happened in Highland Park. And I understand that most people want to go to gun violence. They want to discuss how do we make sure these things don't happen again, what's going on. And I, sure, those are super important things to be discussing right now. But uh, I want to make sure we don't lose sight of the human toll, the the stories that are coming out of Highland Park. Uh, yes, the stories of heroism, but also the stories of tragedy. And so, yeah, it's a heavy topic, but I think it's really important that we don't move on and that we don't so quickly. Like, we like to have fun on this show. We like to do have lots of laughs, but when it is necessary, we've got to just sit in the darkness and the evil of what happened in our region, in our area, in, in our, you know, uh, some of you might be listening to the show from Highland Park right now. I was talking to somebody at my son's baseball game yesterday and he was like, hey, I was on my way to the parade the next town over. But he was saying how his parents have lived for years in Highland Park. He's like, I know everything you see there like I know that area and and you start to think of the personal nature of it and yesterday we talked about uh, the tragedy of the McCarthy family uh, whose two-year-old boy was found wandering and people were like well we have to reunite him with his parents and then it came out that his parents 37 and 35 year old uh, were some of the ones who were killed and so you've got this two-year-old orphaned and yeah, there's some great things about humanity coming out after that. You know, this GoFundMe page is now over $3 million. Somebody else I was talking to said yesterday that uh, there have been 
you know, 30 or 40 universities who have come out and said that this boy's education will be paid for, but nothing will ever replace his parents. And the tragedy of a 37-year-old and 35-year-old who were just excited to take their child to the parade and their life ended like that is just horrific and tragic. Like Tragic almost feels like not a strong enough word. It's just evil. It's just uh, it's senseless. And then you read the story of an eight-year-old boy uh, who was attending the Highland Park Fourth of July parade with his parents and twin brother, and he was shot, and he is now paralyzed from the waist down. His name is Cooper Roberts. Cooper was shot in the chest, and he suffered several significant injuries, including a severed spinal cord. He remains in the hospital sedated and on a ventilator in critical but thankfully stable condition. And they said it's going to be a new normal for Cooper going forward. It sounds like he'll have significant issues, especially with walking. And it, the, they tell the story that Cooper and his twin brother, they love the parade, but the parade obviously ended in tragedy. His brother Luke suffered injuries from shrapnel. He was released from the hospital. Their mother, Keely, was shot in the leg and foot and had to have several surgeries. She's been discharged because she insisted that she wanted to be by Cooper's side at the hospital. There's been a GoFundMe page that's been set up for them. But as I read the story, I mean, he, this boy, and thankfully he is going to make it, it appears, but this boy just loved life, loved baseball, uh, and loved his twin brother. They were just, uh, you know, close as could be. You've got these friends trying to figure out how to process this. And what sits heavy on me is this. An eight-year-old boy should not get shot at a parade. Uh, a, a family, sh- a two-year-old should not be orphaned because his parents were shot at a parade. And friends, there is no other way to describe what happened on the 4th of July than the word being evil. Uh, evil committed by this madman, uh, just senseless, evil, senseless, tragic. All of these words begin to describe what happened. And we need to be praying for these families. I'd, I would encourage you to go to their GoFundMe pages. You could just Google them, and I'd encourage you to give to them. I'd encourage you to look for whatever way you can be a light in this. But But I do want to ask this question. I think what a lot of people are feeling, there's a lot of different feelings right now, anger, um, lament, sadness, but I do think one of the prevailing feelings right now is fear. Uh, Fear as in the randomness of this, fear as, I I know over the 4th of July weekend, I went and saw Top Gun, I went to the movie theater, and it's hard to go into a movie theater and not have that one thought as to what could happen here. Now it's not, now it's going to be hard not to go to a parade and think about this. It It's hard to be in a church or a school and not think about these things. Like we're not consumed by them, but what about the fear that now comes at what seems like the frequency of these events? How do we deal with fear? Particularly as Christ followers, how do we deal with, with the feelings of fear that I think are rightfully there right now. Like these are all random events and that's what makes these so worrisome, so fearful. So what do you do with fear? I begin by reminding you that the Bible says that God did not give us a spirit of fear, that fear is a natural emotion 
but that there are answers to our fear. And sometimes we can go past these like, and think that they're just kind of cliche answers, but they're not. Like, what do we do with our fear? What do we do with our anxiety? What do we do with um, our worry? We take it to the throne room of God. We take it to the feet of our Savior. We get on our knees and we pray, Lord, I am scared. Lord, I don't understand the evil that's going on around us. Lord, I don't get what's going on, and it brings fear and anxiety to me. And God's promise to us is a peace that passes all understanding. We as a nation need that peace right now. It's a peace that we can offer to others who are also fearful right now. So fear is a natural emotion, but I don't think it has to win. But God says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then we hold on to the fact that there's coming a day when there won't be gun violence. There's coming a day where there won't be fear. There's coming a day where there won't be senseless tragedy and death, and we can hold on to that. So fear, yes, it's it's a natural emotion because of what's going on around us right now. But we as the Christ follower have an answer to that fear. And that fear is a God who is present, who is good, who cares and invites us to bring our fears to him. So continue to pray. Pray specifically for these families who have been just uh ripped apart, who have just been um decimated and and pray for the community of Highland Park and the surrounding community of it. And then let's continue to pray to our Lord. Uh, Come Lord Jesus, do a work uh, so that evil doesn't continue to what it feels like is move forward right now. So I want to continue to specifically be praying for the people of Highland Park. It's Friday. Right. It feels like it Friday. It feels like it should be Friday. It's been quite a week uh, nationally, uh, internationally, but also, you know, it's the summertime. So it feels like the weekend should be upon us. There should be mow the lawn. Right. Go for a walk. Go hit the golf ball. Go to the pool, whatever else it might be. It feels like a good time. Uh, to just enjoy the summer. looks like it's going to be a beautiful weekend outside. So hopefully you have a nice weekend plan. The weekend after the 4th of July weekend. Let the celebrations continue. Continue to enjoy your summer before the fall gets here and, and is upon us. Well, as you know, Aubrey and I are both pastors. It's kind of how this show was started, right? It was first myself and Ian Simpkins. Ian, also a pastor. That's why he left the show, because he took a church uh, down in Nashville, Tennessee. And then Aubrey kind of, uh, Aubrey stepped in and Aubrey is also a pastor. Aubrey's at Renewal Church of Chicago out in West Chicago, Renewal Church in West Chicago. She started that along with her husband, Kevin. And then I am at Four Corners Community Church, have been there for the last 12 years uh, in Darien, just south of Downers Grove. And so as pastors, we long to see the church thrive. We long to see the church make a difference, and we long to see the church be a place of transformation where people who are parts of the church, our own churches and the Big C Church as well, be transformed through the Holy Spirit. And what you see in the early church, right? We always point to the book of Acts. We point to the early church, and what we see in the early church 
is a reliance upon the Holy Spirit. It's this idea that if God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, doesn't work in and through people, they're going to be killed, the church is going to be squashed, nothing's going to happen, right? You've got the early church in the book of Acts. Jesus says, I'm sending my Holy Spirit, and you will do more than you could ever imagine. I'm paraphrasing here. And then Jesus ascends into heaven. The the earliest apostles are locked in a room. They're praying. They're scared. And then at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. Peter gets up and preaches, and thousands of people uh, become Christians. They begin following Jesus, and a movement begins that hasn't stopped to this day. It goes around the world. Like, just think about this. What started with fishermen and tax collectors and just this ragtag group, it accomplished and continues to accomplish What Jesus said their mission was, you will go from Jerusalem to Judea to the ends of the earth. It has happened, and it continues to happen, and it is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then now as you go to other countries, you travel the world. Uh, I remember I got to spend some time in Africa and Rwanda with this group that we support at the church called Africa New Life. And part of the great joy was going to church service, and you're like, Okay, God is doing a work here, even in the midst of poverty, even in the midst of um, difficulty. And so here is the question. David Fitch, uh, David Fitch is uh, a pastor. He's an author. He is a professor over at Northern Seminary. Uh, David Fitch asked this question, and it's, I should say this, he re, uh, he tweeted a quote from A.W. Tozer about the Holy Spirit. Tozer said this decades ago. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. I want you to think about that for a moment from A.W. Tozer. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church that we just discussed, uh, they would have been killed. The church would have been stopped immediately. Like it would, this movement would not have occurred. But Tozer now asks the question, essentially, what would happen if the Holy Spirit were taken from the church, the American church, particularly today? And he was writing in the 50s, 60s, 70s. But let's ask for ourselves. That's why Fitch writes this. He's asking that of our church today. Is Tozer correct that 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference? I think he's right. I think he's right. I think we'd still gather on Sundays. I think you could still preach the word. I think you could still sing songs. You could still do potluck dinners and small groups and youth groups and whatever else. But what Fitch and more Vigor Tozer is getting at here is, is there a reliance upon the Holy Spirit in our churches today here in America that says, apart from the power work, powerful work of the Holy Spirit, then we might as well just close the doors and do nothing. Part of this is 
just what are our beliefs about the Holy Spirit, right? When we look back in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit uh, convicts and encourages and does miracles and, and is the engine, is the fuel to everything the early church did. And the question is rightfully so. Is that still the case today? Some people retweeted this, and one person wrote, I remember the first time I encountered Tozer's observation. It's from the 50s. I read it in the 70s, and my prayer immediately became, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Another retweet, so true. Where is our radical faith, the faith that can only be empowered by the Holy Spirit? Uh, all these people going, food for thought, this is still true today. So the question is, what's the response? What? How do we respond to this? I think we repent. We go, Lord, forgive us if Tozer is right, that we have created institutions, that we have created churches that function on our own human power and therefore don't function well with power. Forgive us, we repent of a lack of reliance upon the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit can do. Forgive us for a lack of what this other person said, a lack of radical faith, a lack of stepping into places where only the Holy Spirit uh, can work, otherwise we will fail miserably. Forgive us for that. Forgive us for a lack of prayerfulness and a lack of waiting upon the Holy Spirit. And then it must drive us to prayer, and I believe drive us to places in which we say the Holy Spirit needs to work. I think this requires a reliance, a an understanding of the Holy Spirit, and a prayer for literal revival. And that song that somebody quoted, right? That hymn, Take Not Your Holy Spirit from Me, which comes out of the book of Psalms. Friends, I think why this struck me so deeply is I think, I think this is true of every church I've been a part of. Have we made church to the point that it's something that we can accomplish on our own? Have we talked about mission as something that we can accomplish? The Holy Spirit is the fuel, is the engine, is the point, and is the one working in and through the church to do more, immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine. Do we believe that through the power of the Holy Spirit, God still is doing immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine in his church and through his church for his glory May we never be churches that say, oh, you know, if the Holy Spirit was here, great. If not, great. We could still do what we do. May, like the early church, may we still be, um, may we still be waiting upon the Holy Spirit. May we still be um, just longing for the Holy Spirit. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. We cover heavy things on this show. Uh, we try to take them from a Christ follower, pastoral bent. So today we talked about the assassination of the former prime minister of Japan. We continued to talk about what ha um, just the feelings of fear and, and heaviness and sadness that come as we continue to process what happened in Highland Park at the parade on the 4th of July. And we asked the difficult question earlier. What would happen if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from our churches? Would we recognize a difference? So hard, challenging things. If you've missed them, you could go get our podcast. 
wherever it is you get your podcast. But sometimes we just need a palate cleanser. And on Fridays, one of the ways that we do that is that our executive producer, Keith Conrad, sends us crazy stories from the Internet. And then uh, we just read them sight unseen. Sometimes it leaves us laughing. Sometimes it leaves us going, that can't be a true story. But we hear them exactly the same time you do. So let's enjoy them together. And appropriately, the first one's out of Florida. Because when it says Florida at the top, you could be ready that the story is going to be full of ridiculousness. Here is the headline. Florida man with hustle, eat, sleep, repeat tattoo charged with throwing hot dog at police officer. A Tampa Bay area man was arrested Saturday for allegedly throwing a hot dog at an officer who warned him he was violating a city ordinance. Jason Stoll, age 47, is charged with felony battery on a law enforcement officer and resisting arrest. Around 12 a.m. Saturday, a St. Petersburg police officer told Stoll he can no longer sell hot dogs in the roadway after his street closure permit ended. An officer asked Stoll to close up shop, but he continued to try selling a hot dog. Stoll became frustrated and threw a hot dog at the officer who was in full uniform at the time of the incident. Stoll was booked in the Pinellas County uh, Sheriff's Office. An online records show he is out after posting a $2,500 bail. The court records note he has many tattoos, including phrases, hustle, eat, sleep, repeat, and what doesn't kill me makes me stronger, among others, for his actions. Stoll faces a minimum of three years in jail if convicted. That escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. All right. I, I love the part of that story, by the way, that he was selling hot dogs at midnight on in the middle of the road. Only in Florida. Well, next, New York lifeguard gets attacked by shark while teaching shark safety. Long Island beaches have reopened for the 4th of July. One day after a lifeguard was attacked by a shark, while teaching a class on shark safety. The incident occurred at Smith Point, where an unidentified lifeguard was pretending to be a shark attack victim during a training exercise, according to the Suffolk County representatives. As the lifeguard flailed about in the water, a real shark swam up and bit his chest and hand. His current condition has not been revealed. After Long Island beaches were closed on Sunday, while authorities used drones to scan the area, they reopened at 10 a.m. on Monday, and then they ask this question. Would you go to a beach the day after somebody was attacked by a shark? I think I would. I've told you this before. Your chances of being killed and by being struck by lightning are multiple times greater than being bit by a shark. But this one, I hope this person's okay. If they are okay, then it is kind of a story to tell. I was teaching shark safety class when a shark attacked me. Goodbye. I'm not going to waste my time arguing with a man who's lining up to be a hot lunch. All right, next one's out of my home state of New Jersey. But let me just say it's from South Jersey. I'm from North Jersey, two very different places. So uh, I'm glad if this paints South Jersey in a little bit of a negative light. South New Jersey man accused of naked crime spree. A South Jersey man allegedly went on a nude crime spree after carjacking a teenager on Friday. Michael Davis, I'll bet you alcohol is coming in this. Let's see. Michael Davis, age 37, was busted after a wild rampage that included burglaries and adults and, and assaults, all while wearing his birthday suit. Davis was nude when he jumped into a car with a teen driver in the parking lot and forced the minor to take him to a nearby complex. Once they pulled up, 
He assaulted the driver and took off with his phone. At the apartment complex, the suspect allegedly broke into one home with a mother and two children. Aside, they were able to uh, inside. They were able to flee safely. Davis then allegedly broke into a second home after scaling a second-story balcony while a mother and infant were inside. She was able to fight him off and force him to leave. After that, he went into hiding but was found by officers when they arrived. Instead of surrendering, he then led officers on a naked foot chase before being finally cuffed and arrested. He is charged with three counts of burglary, sexual misconduct, lewdness, and endangering the welfare of a child. For God's sake, put some clothes on. All I got to say is that is classic South Jersey. Well, next one, Idaho. Idaho. And not surprisingly, out of Idaho, it has to do with a bear. Bear burglar breaks into Idaho man's car. An Idaho man captured video of a clever bear that repeatedly opened the door of his parked car. Christopher Josephson said that the bear burglary was the first incident of its type in 30 years of living near the Schweitzer Mountain. I saw a bear opening my car door, then closing the car door, then opening the car door again, then closing the door, and then getting in and ripping up the door panel, and then jumping in and having its way with whatever snacks he could find. Definitely not aggressive. They were just more lounging, said about the two cubs who were nearby. They're hungry bears. They want a free snack. Uh, Eric Donaldson, uh, north of Northwest Autobody, reached out to Josephson and offered to repair it, his car. He said the shop has already seen two vehicles damaged by bear break-ins this year. We want to look out for our neighbors. You never know what kinds of critters are going to crawl in there and mess up your car. Idaho Fish and Game warned residents uh, in March to be bear aware and keep all food and trash and other bear attractants in secure places that would be terrifying can you imagine looking out and seeing a bear uh, kind of ripping your car apart crazy hey boo boo let's see what we got in this picnic basket last one last one's out of maryland uber cars license plate numbers earn the lottery player fifty thousand dollars the maryland man won fifty thousand dollars from a pick five lottery drawing when he said his numbers came from an unusual source his uber driver's license plate the 51-year-old Silver Spring man told Maryland lottery officials recently that troubles with his car led to a memorable trip with an Uber driver. The Uber driver that day was great to talk to. We had a great conversation. He was going to drive me the work. The Maryland man said that the pleasant trip caused him to remember the license plate number. It was stuck in my head, and the man said when he stopped at the Wheaton Winery in Silver Spring to buy Kino tickets, he decided at the store to use the Uber driver's license plate numbers on a pick five ticket. They were the five numbers I used, so I uh, they were the five numbers, so I used them for the pick five. The man placed five one dollar wagers for the June twenty second midday and evening drawings, and he ended up winning fifty thousand dollars. When I saw the uh, the results the next day, I had no reaction. I expected to be excited to yell in the screen, but I just sat there frozen. Uh, the winner said he has big plans for the prize money, as well as it turned out for me that will be my last Uber ride for a long. time time so uh the the moral of the story is be looking at the uber driver if you drive an uber driver or the car in front of you be get your numbers from somewhere that that seems predetermined and maybe you'll end up richer for it money money money, money. and i'm thrilled to be joined 
all the way from Colorado, uh, editor for the Plugged In podcast, which is a podcast with focus on the family. His name is Paul AC. Paul, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? I'm doing really well. Doing great. Hey, tell us about the Plugged In podcast. Eventually, I want to talk about some specific movies and stuff, but tell us generally about the Plugged In podcast. Yeah, so this uh, this show that we do, um, we, we release an episode every week. Um, it's a new thing, actually, for Plugged In. Plugged In actually does a lot of, of reviews, you know, movies, TVs, books, games, all those sorts of things. Uh, the podcast is sort of a new experiment for us, and part of it was just uh, sort of sprung up from a lot of the conversations that we we have with our reviewers. You know, we just hang over the cubicle walls. We talk about the movies we've seen, what was good, what was bad. They are really fun conversations. And so we wanted to sort of give our readers, our users, a taste of some of those conversations. And so uh, it's been a lot of fun, quite honestly. We have we have folks who just sort of rotate in and out, and we have some very spirited conversations because we don't always agree on things. <laughs> I, can, <laughs> I can imagine. So let me ask this question. Um, I'm sure you get this all the time. There are people in the church world who don't think Christians should go to movies. Yeah. Or uh, or if not that fundamentalist, they're more like, oh, I take them or leave them or whatever else. Why are you passionate about movies? And more than that, why should the church, why should Christians be engaging with pop culture, movies, shows, whatever else? Man, that's a fantastic question. And and I guess I'll answer this, the second question first. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in some ways, I don't think that Christians have to engage with a lot of the stuff that we see on the screens. You know, I think what we really tried to do at Plugged In is say, uh, give you the information that you need to make a good choice for you, for your family. If you have kids in the house, we try to give you what you need to know before you go to the theater. But for me, um, I really find the stories in our culture powerful. One of the reasons why I do what we do is is because the stories impact us deeply. We are creatures of stories, right? You know, Jesus taught in stories. The Bible is filled with stories. Um, we are wired to resonate with story, and that's what um, the, the entertainment culture gives us all the time. Now, a lot of those stories aren't particularly good, but at the same time, they're, even in some kind of bad stories, you can find some redeeming elements to them. Um, I find that I have my own faith uh, challenged, and sometimes gr- it grows within some of even the secular movies that, that I see. They can they can push me in different ways, and and I think that it's it's great to have those springboards for conversation too. You know, the other thing that 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 makes it important is. We Christians, we live in this culture, right? We're not supposed to be, we're, we're here in this culture, we're not supposed to be of it. And yet these stories that we see, they can become fantastic conduits to reach out to a world that really needs the love of God and might not know about it. Yeah, I think that's well put. And people can go, you know, to your guys' website or whatever else and go, is this movie appropriate? Right. Is this movie good for my kids or whatever else it might be? All right, let's talk. This is going to kill my my co-host <laughs> who's not here today when she finds out that I'm talking to somebody about this. Because she is, if anyone listens to the show, they know she is obsessed with Marvel. She's obsessed with. And I believe you said today is when Thor comes out. That is correct. So without giving us spoilers is it does it live up is it a good movie did you enjoy it is it worth us seeing 
Boy, that's a really complicated question, actually. <laughs> it, it is, you know, for those who are in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, who are familiar with a lot of the movies that have come before, uh, they're probably familiar with Thor Ragnarok, which was this weird, yep. wacky film uh, done by Waika Titi. Excuse me. Waika Waititi uh, is his name, um, and he uh, he creates some really fantastic movies. He did Jojo Rabbit a while back, won an Oscar for it. He has a very curious sense of humor, and he brought a lot of that to, to Thor Ragnarok. Um, it, honestly, this movie, Thor Love and Thunder, makes... Thor Ragnarok look like a PBS period drama, you know, in some ways. <laughs> it is really a crazy movie. I saw a quote from, from the director who said, who said, essentially, it was like they, they sort of opened up the gates to a 10-year-old. The 10-year-old gave them ideas for what should be in this movie, and they accepted everything. <laughs> So <laughs> if you really like that, the vibe of Ragnarok, if, if you like that sense of humor, um, you're going to find a lot of that here. Now, it also has some problems. You know, I write for primarily a, a, a family audience. Um, you have some some sexual issues that you're going to have to deal with, some nudity. You're going to have to – obviously, all superhero movies are saturated with violence. Um, but there's a lot of spiritual elements for those who are wary of spirituality. There's a ton of that here. Um, this mm. deals very explicitly with lowercase g gods. That is the primary mm. focus of this, the, the main evildoer is Gore the God Butcher, and he's trying to kill all of these lowercase gods, including Thor, uh, because he really doesn't feel like gods do much of anything. Um, hmm. So you have some some very deep spiritual elements that you have to wade through. That can cut to, uh, one of two ways for, for, for a viewer like me. Um, one, you could say this is sort of a... a a statement against religion of all kinds, because Gore the God Butcher, he says, you know, these gods don't impact us. They don't uh, interact with us very well. They they use us and throw us away. They don't care what happens to humanity. And you know that that's something that, that we hear in the culture all the time, you know, that, that gods are not there, that, that God is is a figment of our imagination. If God is there, why doesn't he do things within the very mm. difficult parts of our lives? Um, but you can also read it uh, as, as sort of a, um, a statement of faith if you take it very, very metaphorically and, and, and lightly in a way. Because mm. when you look at what Thor, the hero of the movie, obviously does, he is trying to help. Um, you see that sense of sacrifice. You see that sense of duty, that, that desire to, to, to bring a little bit of hope to the world. Um, you can, so you can read it in, in a little bit of a more positive way as well. Um, yeah. It really depends on what you as a movie viewer bring to the party as much as what the movie takes to you. Interesting. That That's fascinating. Let me ask you about one other movie, one that I've actually seen, because, again, we joke on this show that Aubrey goes to like 10 movies for every one that I go to. Uh, so I saw Top Gun on the 4th of July <laughs> oh. and uh, Total Americana. Right. Uh, so loved it. Great. Um, why do you think that it has become a phenomenon? Why do you think 
What does it say about us and about Top Gun maybe that that it's still so mightily successful? It's the biggest movie of the year. Slam dunk. You yep. know, when you look at the stats that that it has made more money than anything else. And I think a big reason for that is that it really feels like an old-fashioned movie, right? It does. Uh you, yes. you feel that sense of it's not it doesn't feel like it's trying to push a, a an agenda. It doesn't feel like it's trying to to push some some areas of the culture that we might want to stay away from as families or as viewers or whatnot. It is fun. It is exciting. It is thrilling. It, it is, if I can, if I can say the word patriotic, you know, in a way, mm-hmm. I think it really gets to some old fashioned values that we as a culture, um, and I think that this extends to everyone within the culture, we kind of long yeah. for some of that. Yeah, I think that we really love to embrace heroes who are heroes trying to do the right thing. Um, I love it. Yeah, I, I thought it was and, really, really and, good. And you get to see, uh, you know, planes going fast. Exactly. It was a good time. <laughs> exactly. It was a good time. Uh, Paul, remind us, Thanks. this is fun. We're going to do this again. Uh, we'll hopefully have it on some more times. Tell us, where can people connect with you with Plugged In if people are interested in, in hearing the podcast or whatever else you guys do? You bet. You bet. Just go to PluggedIn.com. We review tons and tons of stuff. If you're interested in a movie, a TV show, a video game, a book, uh, music, we, we try to review almost everything that's hot in pop culture now. Um, come to our site. Check mm. us out. We'd love to. Uh, we'd love to just sort of talk with you a little bit. Awesome, Paul uh, AC is editor for Plugged In. We'd encourage you uh, to go check them out as you're going to the movies this summer, as you're figuring out what to stream at home or whatever else. Paul, a ton of fun. Thanks for joining us today. Anytime. Thanks so much. Well, as we've said over and over again, Aubrey and I are both pastors, and so one of the things that is on every pastor's every person's every pastor I'll I'll leave it at that every pastor's mind these days uh is what causes people to leave churches not leave your church to go to another church but just drop out of church altogether there this is happening at such a high rate of speed right now that there is a new um there's a new term for people and they're called goners they're called goners they're gone from the church and this was severely escalated during the pandemic churches shut they closed their doors they went virtual and every pastor i know myself included there's a handful of people where you're like where are they i don't think they've started going to another church so where are they and every pastor i know their church is a little smaller post-pandemic so some of them are a lot smaller some of them haven't survived uh, others of them are just a little bit smaller, but I don't know anybody, any pastor who's like, you know what the pandemic did? It really grew my church. Now, I know you hear some stories of some people who went really kind of the opposite direction and went really kind of militant about whether it be COVID or other culture issues. And quite frankly, those are the churches that are growing right now. And that concerns me for other reasons. Uh, but for the most part, people have left churches and just stopped going to church. And I think there's pandemic played a lot of role in that because people realized I'm okay. I haven't been to church and I'm I'm doing just fine. And we as pastors believe strongly in the importance of church. People need to be in church and what does that look like? And so with that in mind as we consider the goner Tom Rayner over at Church Answers wrote a blog 
the five stages of a church dropout from highly committed to goners. He said, it's painful enough to lose any church members, but it's particularly painful when the church member was highly committed. We call these dropouts goners because they were once one of your best church members, but now they are gone. It has been both painful and amazing to see the consistency in the patterns that goners follow. Though goners have been a sad phenomenon for years, the pervasiveness of goners is reality since the pandemic. So Rainer has said this. Uh, we've seen things growing uh, and we see these steps happen in every person almost. And so these are helpful to see. You might see these in your own life or you might be a part of a church, but you see this in the lives of other people. So what is his, um, uh, yeah, what is his kind of steps here to people being gone who were once really, really committed Number one, lower commitment in key roles. Goners begin their dropout journey by attending small group less frequently, by attending elder or deacon meetings less frequently, or any number of reductions in key roles. So they just begin pulling out from things that they were once a part of, that they were once leading in. Number two, less frequent worship attendance. At his or her most active state in the church, the goner was present in worship services at least three or four times a month. At this stage, they attend worship service maybe once or at most twice a month. So less frequent worship attendance. This is a big one, friends. We see this all the time. You might remember the Ed Stetzer stat that we shared about a month ago where he said increasingly he believes that a regular church attender is once a month. And there's a lot that has to do with this. The pandemic did a lot to this uh, activities culturally. I see this in my own family with sports uh, happening on Sunday mornings, with uh, school activities, other activities happening on Sunday mornings. And so people's journey towards no longer being a part of a church has less frequent church attendance in it. Number three, resigning a key position. In stage three, Rainer writes, the goner steps down from a key position, such as a teacher, an elder, or a key ministry leader. Their stated reason is typically family reasons or personal. They will keep the reason vague, lest someone suspect they are simply less committed to church. Number four, reduces or stops giving. When the goner gets to this stage, he or she is almost gone. Most pastors don't have access to financial records, so they don't see this stage. That is why it is important for the person with access to the records to let the pastor know that the church member might need a visit. This one's interesting because uh, like most churches, in my own church, I don't know when somebody stops giving. But I have been told every now and then by by somebody on the finance team say, and they'll say, hey, uh, we're not going to tell you basically that they stopped giving or aren't giving the same out, but just a, a heads up on this person. And generally the lack of giving or the reduction of giving is a huge flag that something worse is going on in terms of church attendance, church connection. And then number five leaves for a quote, good. And then Rainer writes parenthetically, not really reason. The most common reason is that they are not getting fed. You would think these members would have learned how to feed themselves by this point. Another reason is that the church does not have adequate ministries for their children. Can you imagine a missionary saying that about a church? Someone with a true mission heart would see this void as an opportunity to start a ministry. Those are Rainer's words. And he goes on to say, yes, 
Losing any church member is painful, but when the church member was once one of your more committed members and or a good friend, it is particularly painful. By the way, most of the goners never find another church that meets their perceived needs. They are gone from any commitment to a local church. They are truly goners. That is sobering because I have seen this so often with friends, with people in my own church, with whatever else. I see some of these in my own self, even as a pastor, sometimes when there feels like a waning commitment and then you got to see it and you got to go, okay, no, no, I got to fix this. I got to dive back in. Friends, the, if you are on this trajectory to being gone from the church in general, completely, not just your own local church, uh, you need the church and the church needs you. The church is not something that was made up by by us in the in the 1900s, right? The church, uh, now it looks different. Do we get things wrong? Absolutely. Um, but you need the church and the church needs you. Do not... Uh, give up meeting with one another and gathering together, being part of a church community. Is it frustrating at times? Absolutely. Does it at times make you want to bang your head against a wall? For sure. But you need to be part of a church. And if you see yourself in any of these things here that Rainer lays out, let me encourage you, re-engage. Talk to somebody at your church. Talk to your pastor. Get back and engaged. And... uh and I, I believe you'll be blessed for it. You will begin to uh, realize the fruits of being part of a church community. Hopefully you've got a great weekend planned ahead of you. Then join us again on Monday from 4 to 6 when Aubrey will be back. We'll be back together. Uh, always have a good time together. But as we are in the midst of summer, we're right in the middle of summer, the idea of rest you know, I think when I think about rest in the summertime, I think about sitting in that hammock. I think about sitting by the pool. I think about unplugging, doing things with my family, vacation, right? I think about vacation, but many of us find it hard to ever rest. And instead we think if we don't run, if we don't keep going, if I don't stay connected to my phone and to the world, if I don't, uh, if I ever think about taking a day off, my life is going to collapse. But yet we know that the Bible has very strong things to say about rest and Sabbath, that God's gift to us is rest, that God himself on the seventh day of creation rested, and that we need to rest, that we need to recharge, that we need to use those times to unwind, but also to plug into our Heavenly Father. And that Sabbath is really important, but man, is this difficult. We live in a time where our phones are right in front of us, where we always are plugged in. We can always uh, be plugged into work, to the world, through social media, whatever else it might be. And then we just run and run and run and run. And what happens to your car, say, when it's just overheating and running and running and running? It gives out. And then we end up with burnout. We end up just not knowing which way is up. And friends, I want to uh, encourage you to consider your habit of rest or the way the Bible talks about it, to consider your habit of Sabbath. Jesus, who had the right to be busier than anybody, he rested and he got away from people and he prayed. We find him taking a nap on a boat, all sorts of things. And over at vanderblumen.com, they write this this week, and this is where I wanted to end our show today. Six tips 
to finding rest. The author says, through the years, I've learned that I can't wait for the summer months to find rest for my soul. I need to participate in, I need to practice rhythms in my life all year long that gives me the inner peace and joy that I long for. He quotes Dallas Willard, and then I'll give you his six things. He says, Dallas Willard in Renovation of the Heart says, Our soul is like an inner stream of water, which gives strength, direction, and harmony to every other element of our life. When that stream is as it should be, we are constantly refreshed and exuberant in all we do because our soul itself is then profusely rooted in the vastness of God and his kingdom, including nature. And all else within us is enlivened and directed by that stream. I love that phraseology. We are constantly refreshed and exuberant in all that we do. So how do we keep ourselves from burnout? How do we keep ourselves refreshed? The answer is rest. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, he quotes here, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. And so this author, his name uh, is Tim Gotcha. He is going to give us uh, a few thoughts to consider as you enjoy your summer and think about rest. Number one, faithfully practice those daily spiritual disciplines that feed you and build your spiritual and emotional muscles. Is that Bible study, prayer, journaling? I would say yes to all of them. There's freedom and joy in discovering those practices that energize you. Number two, Look inward long enough and deeply enough to discover those areas of your life that need attention. Is God speaking to you about your marriage, your family, your call to ministry, or just spending more time with him? Don't ignore his promptings, but practice obedience to what he is telling you to the very last word. Look inward. What's going on in your soul? When's the last time you sat down and gave yourself enough space to go, what's going on in my soul right now? What's going on in my soul? Number three, clear your calendar and take some dedicated time away to unplug. I know, right? Easier said than done. You may not be able to take several weeks off at a time, but do you take such time to refresh, clear your mind, and allow God to breathe new life into you? This is the biblical call of Sabbath, friends. You must unplug. You cannot. Just keep running and running and running. Uh, my old friend Ian Simpkins on the show used to regularly say, uh, you're either going to discover Sabbath uh, or Sabbath is going to basically impose itself upon you through a heart attack, <laughs> through a breakdown of whatever else. But you've got to, this is where we lose it. You have to plan for rest. Is it in your calendar? I'm going to do nothing here. I'm going to unplug. I'm going to I'm going to just do whatever it is that it, that. I'm going to give myself permission to do those things that give me life. Put it in your calendar. Make it a dedicated time. Number four, lean into an activity or hobby that gives you joy and energy and allows you to take a mental break from all the things that distract you. Perhaps it's golf, running, fishing, kayaking, hiking, going to the gym, or another activity that you've put aside for a while. Summer is a great time to pick those hobbies back up, those activities, and then take them into the fall with you. What hobbies do you have? We as adults, oftentimes, uh, statistics say we can't say this is my hobby. This is what I do for myself. 
Lean into an activity or a hobby. Number five, ooh, difficult one, make new friends or reconnect with some old ones. Years ago, the author says, I remember John Maxwell saying in one of his messages that there are friends that are lifters and those that are leaners. Choose the lifters. Choose those who are life-giving, not life-draining. And number six, don't sweat the small stuff. Life is short, he writes. Enjoy the journey. And he ends this way. In order to step away and truly rest, it is important to have the right people on your team. Who are the people in, in you that are pushing you to rest, who are pushing you to disconnect? What do you need to do so that you slowly begin into that practice and don't burn out and you don't just crash and burn? We've all been to those stages of life where burnout feels like it's coming. That's just the sign of an empty tank. So what are you doing to fill up your tank? You got to serve or work or lead or parent out of a full tank, out of an overflow. So what are you doing to fill yourself back up? These are great tips, but there's a million other things you can be doing. But you must be doing something. Rest is not a, a burden. It's an invitation from God. Sabbath is a gift from God. And we are worse off when we ignore that invitation and that gift. So maybe this weekend, give that some thought. How am I going to rest? How am I going to recharge? How am I going to fill my tank back up? Well, we're glad that you joined us today. As I said, Aubrey will be back again with us on Monday. So I'm hope hopeful that you can join us from four until six. Again, I hope that you have a great weekend. My name is Brian Fromm, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.